0: Hey, we're kicking off a new series called Matched. If you're new with us today, so glad you're here today. It's a great Sunday to be at People's Church across all locations. I know 100 plus people are signed up to be baptized and people go in public with their faith. And, and then today we're kicking off a new series to enhance your relationships. And, and so it's a great time to be here. Listen, I'm passionate about relationships. I, and I really want to help your relationship. I, I really want to help your coworkers, your neighbors, your, your friends, your relatives. I want to help relationships throughout this series. And I, I've titled today's message, You Reap What You Sow. You reap what you sow. And as we kicked off this series, Matched, Keeping the Flame Alive, I want to begin by establishing the key thought for this series. Now, many of you have heard the phrase, you reap what you sow. But what I want you to understand about this phrase is that It's a spiritual law that God set up in the universe back in the book of Genesis. And I really want you to understand that it's a spiritual law and kind of of for you to grasp that because if you really understand that this is a law, it'll change the way that you view life. It'll change the way that you view reading the Bible. It is a very powerful principle in scripture. Let's look at how God set this law into motion back in Genesis 8, beginning in verse 22. It says, "As long as the Earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. As long as the Earth endures, the Bible says that these, these elements will never cease, one of them being seed time and harvest, it will never cease as long as the Earth endures now. Now we would understand, in our natural mind, we understand cold and heat, and summer, and winter, and day, and night, but, but we wouldn't put in there seed time harvest. But God says, no, I want you to understand something, a principle, a law that I set up in the universe, just like day and night, just like summer, winter, just like cold and heat, I put a law in motion in the universe called seed time harvest. Harvest. Now you can't see it as clearly as you can see daytime and night, but that law is in place today in the world, and 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 and, and you see this law throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, it shows up in the New Testament on several occasions as well. And one example would be in Galatians chapter six and verse number seven. It says, "Do not be deceived." Now, this is this is critical because Paul understood that this spiritual law it's it's easy for people to be deceived by that they, they get cold and heat and. They get summer, winter. They get day and night. But but when it comes to this law, there's a disconnect and they don't get it. So he says, listen, don't you be deceived. You have to understand you're going to deceive yourself if you're not careful. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Just like there are physical laws in the universe like gravity. Now, you can ignore the law of gravity, but if you do so... Things won't turn out so well for you. And if you ignore the law of the harvest, if you ignore this law, things won't turn out so well for you. The Bible talks so much about this law. It's a spiritual law set in motion in the book of Genesis. So when you understand that God set this law in motion, when you read your Bible, you just read it with a new lens. You read it with a new perspective that there's a spiritual law in motion in the universe, like day and night, cold and cold and hot, that there's a law in work called the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, seed time harvest, and you read the Bible from that lens. It shows up here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Why? Well, you sow mercy, you reap mercy. It's it's just a spiritual law. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You, You sow forgiveness, you reap forgiveness. Do not be deceived. Do not, there's a spiritual law operating that if you, you reap what you sow, you sow forgiveness, you'll reap forgiveness. You say, pastor, this is hard. You mean if I don't forgive people, my heavenly father won't forgive me? Yeah, because there's a spiritual law in place in the universe, you reap what you sow. Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And now notice this, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You sow judgment, you reap judgment. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. And now he emphasizes this part again. For what the measure you use, not your neighbor, talking about you. For what the measure you use, it will be measured to You. So he says, if you sow money, you will reap money. Let let me go a little deeper into how this law works. Whatever measure you sow is the measure you'll reap. So if you sow a little love, you'll reap a little love. You sow a lot of kindness, you'll reap a lot of kindness. If you sow a little peace, you'll reap a little peace. If you sow a lot of negativity, you'll reap a lot of Negativity. Listen, listen, if you sow hate, you can't reap love. You see, a man or woman reaps what they sow. Now people have a disconnect. They don't understand this law's in place. They think they can sow hate and reap love, but that, that's not how the spiritual law works. You can't sow dissension and then reap peace, just like you can't sow two cheeseburgers a day into your body and reap a buff body. I'm just telling you, it won't work. You you may not like the law. I'm just telling you, eat two cheeseburgers a day, and you're not going to be happy, and neither will your heart. Because there's a law in place in the universe that I wish you could sow two cheeseburgers a day and four desserts a day, and still have a. But I wish that law was not in work in, in motion. But but it is in motion. Whatever you sow, you will reap, and the measure in which you sow is the measure in which in, in, in is the measure you will reap. The spiritual law works in every area of life, including your relationships. Some of you are not aware of this, but I really want you to dial into this. This law is at work in your relationships right now. It's at work in your marriage right now. It's at work in your friendships right now. It's at work in your relationships at work right now. That a man or woman reaps what they sow. If you don't like how your marriage looks today, if you don't like the the direction your friendships are going, if you don't like the, the direction your working relationships are going, if you don't like your relationships, your marriage today, you have to change the seeds that you are sowing. Here's the key thought for the entire series. Here it goes. Great marriages are not about what you say. They're about what you sow. Not about what you say, they're about what you sow. Great friendships, great relationships are not about what you say, they're about what you sow. But people have a myth that if they say they have a great marriage, if they say they have a great relationship, if they say they have a great friendship, that somehow because they say it, that it's true. Now, now, please hear your pastor. Words are very important. The Bible talks a lot about words, so I'm not diminishing the power of our words. Words are very important, important according to the Scripture. But you can say you have a great marriage, but that doesn't mean it's true. You can say, oh, my marriage is awesome. It's great. Let me talk to your spouse, and I'll really find out. You you, you can say, oh, my relationships are thriving. But just because you say it doesn't make it so. Just just like saying that you have a fresh garden of vegetables in your backyard. Saying it doesn't make it so unless you go sow some seed in your backyard. You're not going to have any fresh vegetables. Just because you say it is not what you say, it is what you sow. And something I find interesting is people sow into the wedding way more than they sow into the marriage. Have you noticed that? I mean, people will sew into the wedding, but don't, don't do a lot of sewing into the marriage. And I, I've invited my friends to be with me today. Here's Jack and Jill. Hey guys, how you doing today? It's good to see you. I want to interview you in a few minutes. Keep your mouth quiet. I'm preaching. You're not, but you're glad you're joining me today, Jack and Jill. And People love weddings and flowers, and they buy dresses and rent tuxes, and they'll have bridesmaids dressed up and groomsmen dressed up, wedding cake and and reception and food and invitations went out. The mother-in-law is like, ah! I mean, it is the wedding, it's wedding, it's the wedding, man, it's the wedding. And people sow into the wedding way more than they sow into the marriage. I think about Paul McCartney and Heather Mills. When they were married, they spent $3.6 million on the wedding. And they were married six years, $3.6 million. I think about Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys. In 2011, they were married, and they spent $10 million on the wedding. They had over 50,000 flowers, three separate designer wedding gowns. The marriage ended after 72 days. S- sewing into the wedding, but not sewing into the. Ma- I mean, but, but nobody gets married and thinks it's just gonna end. No, no, it's gonna be wonderful. 72 days. Liza Minnelli and David Jest, they spent a reported $3.5 million on the wedding. This was Liza's fourth marriage. There were over 1,500 people in attendance, including celebrities like Michael Jackson. Elizabeth Taylor, Elton John, and Michael Douglas. The marriage lasted a year and a half. They sold him to the wedding, but not the marriage. Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. In 2006, the wedding cost a reported $2 million. They wed in an Italian castle with a world-renowned opera singer performing at the wedding. And then they had fireworks display to top everything off. And they were divorced six years later. Prince Charles and Princess Diana, and what a wonderful, wonderful royal couple. And in 1981, they had a royal wedding that cost approximately $30 million in 1981. In today's economy, that would be right at $70 million for a wedding. The ceremony was televised to over 750 million people. 600,000 people lined the streets in celebration for the, for the wedding, and 3,500 people attended the wedding. There were 27 wedding cakes, and the couple divorced 15 years later. And what I want you to understand that you can't just sow into your marriage for two or three years. You have to continue to sow, because if you don't continue to sow the right seed, you're going to end up reaping the wrong harvest. And one day you wake up and you think, I don't like this. And it all traces back to the seeds that you were sowing because you will reap what you sow. And some of you are thinking, well, those celebrities, they spend so much money. What is wrong with them? Well, let me talk to you about us. The average cost of a wedding today is $31,213. Is the average cost for a wedding today. Yet your wedding... $31,213. Jack and Jill sow so much into the wedding. And don't think about how much they should be sowing into the marriage. And friends, great marriages are not about what you say. They're about what you sow. Because you will reap whatever you So, and if you don't like your marriage today, you don't like your relationships today, you have to change the seeds that you are sowing. Number one is this. I want to dive down on this point today and just really help us bring some application so that God can help us bring transformation to our relationships. Number one is this. You need to sow a work mentality instead of a party mentality a work mentality instead of a party mentality. Paul addressed this as he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. He wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 33. Uh, I want you to notice these words. Paul says, but a, man, a, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And now, I, I thought this was interesting. You know, the context of this portion of Scripture is Paul is trying to convince people who are not married not to get married. He said, don't get married unless you have to. And he says, because, listen, marriage is work. He says a man gets married, he, has, he, has no, he now he has earthly responsibilities. He, there are responsibilities. There is, this is going to be work. He has to think about how to please his wife. He goes on to say in verse 34, his interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married who has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman, he says, man, if you're not married, you've never been married, or you're not married any longer, he says, you can give your whole attention to the Lord. You can give all of your attention to just God and serving him and honoring him. He says, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibility. There are responsibilities. this work and how to please her husband. And marriage is a wonderful thing. But friends, great marriages, great relationships, great friendships don't happen by accident. Paul says, it takes work. There are responsibilities. Nobody says, nobody says, nobody says, I'm getting married so that I can get divorced 72 days later. Nobody says, you know what? Let's get married so we can be miserable together. (laughs) You want to get married? Nobody does that. Nobody gets married thinking that. They just, they, the people, people, one big issue is people view marriage like it's a wedding, that they view marriage like it's this big celebration every day, that they think marriage is going to be this big fun party, it's going to be happy times all the time, just happily ever after. We'll get married and we'll have the house, the white picket fence, oh, we'll have two cars, a dog, forget the cat, we'll have a dog. Two perfect kids. It'll be wonderful. Celebration time. Come on! I mean, every day will be marvelous. And friends, I'm telling you, it takes daily work. God has blessed me with a wonderful bride. We have, a, we have a wonderful marriage, but it takes a lot of work. It takes sowing a work mentality, not a party mentality, sowing into the marriage, working at it, getting along, going on dates, talking, working through problems, bettering your marriage. Work at it. We want to help you. I re- we really want to partner with you. And so we're having the marriage conference. If you're married, can I encourage you today to sign up? I ask somebody to hold the price where it is for this Sunday at $95. He said, Pastor, that's really expensive. Let me tell you something, this is not about money. We're not making any money. We're actually losing money on this conference. It's not about, we want to help your marriage. No matter if your marriage is a one, we want to get it to a two. Some of you have a marriage that's an eight, but come on, how many know we can all improve and just work at it and invest in our marriage, invest in our relationship. The most important relationship that God has given us outside of a relationship with him is our spouse. I want to encourage you, work at it. So you know what? We're going to go to this conference. We're going to invest in our marriage, and I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do. It's also pretty awesome that it's going to be on Valentine's Day weekend. And so get signed up, invest in your marriage Work at it. I want to encourage you next Sunday, for the next two or three Sundays after church, we're going to have at the 10 and the 1130 at Oklahoma City, at the other campuses at 1130, you'll be able to walk right out into the first step room, and they're going to take you a little deeper into my teaching. There's a, some, some strong married couples. I want all the married folks to get out there and get to the class. There'll be some food. And it's like, 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 we'll call it like a little Sunday school class for marriages, just marriage enrichment that we can all just grow and work and invest in our marriage. Because great marriages, great relationships are not about what you say. They're about what you sow. And let's sow into our relationships. Number two is this. Number two is this. Number two is this. Sowing, not saying, sowing, not saying. You need to sow, how can I serve you instead of you serve me? You need to change and think of your marriage like this, your relationships like this. You need to sow, how can I serve you instead of you serve me? Paul talks about this in relationships in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now notice this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And in most relationships, they're carnal. They're indulging the flesh. It's about what I want, and it's about me, myself, and I. I'm only thinking about me. I'm not thinking about how this impacts you. I'm not thinking about serving you. It's just about me. He says, listen, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in this In keeping this command, this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just change that word right there. Love your spouse as yourself. You want to get this right? You want to get marriage right? Love your spouse as yourself. How can I serve you? He goes on to say in verse 15, listen to how relationships work. He talks about sowing and reaping right here because once you understand this principle, you just read the Bible differently, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. He says if you bite and devour each other, if you keep sowing that type of seed and think it's going to work out for you, if you keep biting and devouring and talking about each other and gossiping about each other and tearing each other down, he says, if you keep doing that, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by each other. Because you're going to reap what you sow. And if you keep sowing that into your marriage, you're going to devour your relationship. It's going to to crumble. Great marriages are about sowing serving. Serving one another. Bad marriages is about selfishness. You serve me. I'm thinking about me. And if you want to see your marriage change, your relationship changed, begin to sow serving. I have a question for you, and I want you to think about this, and uh, hopefully you can answer this question. Here's my first question. Do you know your spouse's needs? Do you know their top needs? Now, if you're saying right now, I think I do, that's not a good place to be. I would ask, and I would start serving. Serve Me and Tiffany, that's how our marriage works serving one another. I serve her. Honor her. Do, do you know what makes your spouse happy? Do, do you know that? If you're guessing at it, you ought to ask them, what makes you happy? What are your needs? And then serve. Serve them. So, do you know their love language? A great book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. It's a wonderful book for, for, for all of you married folks, engaged folks that are looking to get married and have a God-honoring marriage. Do you know your Your spouse's love language, you know, acts of service or physical touch or quality time. Do you know their love language? And and oftentimes in relationships, we want to meet somebody else's love language by doing our love language to them. But no, I want to serve you in the way that you need to be served. I'm here to serve you. And somebody's saying right now, but Pastor, they don't deserve it. He's a knucklehead. You know that verse in the Bible that says it's better to live on a corner of a roof than with a nagging wife? That is her, Pastor. It's her. And I'm saying this to you. Don't focus on your spouse and what they're doing. You start sowing the right seeds. You start sowing seeds of service. And watch how God works. Start sowing seeds of service. Seeds of service. You start serving your spouse. And watch what God begins to do. You reap what you So number three is this. Number three is this. It leads me right to point three, and that is you need to sow self improvement instead of spouse improvement. Self improvement instead of spouse improvement. Here it is. Right here. Don't miss this. It'll revolutionize your relationships. Change the one you can and let God change the one you can't. That's not enough people clapping. Change the one you can, and God will change the one you can't. It's so true. It's a biblical principle. It's, it's, it's you reap what you sow. Change the one you can, and let God change the one you can't. You need to sow self-improvement instead of spouse improvement, but so oftentimes we're so focused on our spouse, and they have to change, and I can't believe them, and look at that, what's wrong with you? I wish you would do better, and we're trying to change them. Instead of realizing if we can change us and start sowing a different us into our marriage, if we can start sowing a different us into our relationships, it'll begin to make all the difference in the world. Peter talks about this in First Peter chapter 3. I love this principle. As You just start diving down into the, into the principle that he's teaching here, is so powerful. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news. He says, listen, even if your spouse refused to obey the good news, he says, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. A new you, a changed you. He says, they will be won over. If you start sowing a different you, sowing a godly life, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So powerful. Here's the principle. If your spouse isn't serving the Lord, if if they aren't acting right, if they aren't making the right decisions, Peter says this. The way that you impact them is not to start nagging them. The way you start impact them is not to start putting Bible verses all on their dresser drawer and in the cars. You know, in the name of Jesus, plead the blood. You do the right. That's not how. It's not how you impact. The way that you impact them is lead, lead and love by example. Instead of focusing on changing them, start focusing on changing you. Start changing your attitude. Start changing selfishness into service. Start changing your rudeness into kindness. Start changing your mood swings up and down, negative all the time, into being positive. Change your spending habits. Change your screaming. Change your pouting. Change you. Start sowing a different you into your marriage and just watch what God does. You know, I always find it interesting people say, Pastor, you know, my, my spouse doesn't want me to come to church. They just, they just they do not like church, not like God. I don't know what to do. You know, here's what I'm thinking. Just change what you're sowing and they'll want you to come to church. Instead of coming home after church, go, oh, I'm tired. You're on my nerves. Got to work tomorrow. Oh, I just wish you would come to church with me. I got to get the kids ready by myself. He says, I don't know. Talk, no, he or she doesn't want you to go to church. But come on, come on, try this today. Go home after church. Say, hey, honey, the Lord moved today. and Just rub your hands through her or his hair, especially if it's a he. Amen. Just rub them. Hey, boy. It was a good day at church. (laughs) Go go, go ahead, go ahead and try that. And next week, he'll be going, go to church, woman. Come on, sir, go home and cook lunch. Come on, get, I know you don't know how to cook. Come on, get fried eggs, fry some eggs, some little ham in the skillet, take it to her. She'll fall out. Don't do it once. Start changing the seed that you're sowing. Change the one you can and let God change the one you can. not You reap what you you sow. Number four is this. You need to sow the word instead of the world. Sow the word instead of the world. You know the interesting thing about about weddings? Most, Most weddings begin with God being involved. Have you noticed that? I mean, they began, I mean, it's awesome. Most people, when they get married at People's Church or any other church or in our society, they, they, they like a pastor to be involved. They like a pastor. They want a pastor. And they say, well, you know, will you marry me? And, and they, they have a pastor, and they, you know, there's wedding vows, and, you know, till death do us part. And, and God, and the pastor shares the scriptures. and you Now, people, people... Even when they don't serve the Lord, they like, can we do some of that unity sand? You know, a little a little Jesus on it, you know, a little unity sand, a light a candle. I mean, they want God involved in the wedding. You know, they want prayed over the pastor to pray and bless them. And, and then they literally leave the wedding altar and leave God behind. They wanted God, they sold God into the wedding, but not God into the marriage. And you know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27? The Bible says that if you build your house on the sand, and the sand is when you build your life, your marriage, your relationships without the Word of God. You you know, you can come to church and not really value the Word of God. And I, I know we have people at different places in their spiritual journey. I love pastoring this church. I know some of you are here at one of our locations, you don't even know if you believe the Bible. I'm so glad you're here. But I do want to be honest with you that when you build your life on the sand without God's word, without God as the forefront of your life and your marriage, and you're headed for a crash. If you're a Christian and because we have a lot of Christians that profess with their mouth God and Jesus, and but man, when you look at their life Monday through Saturday, it just they just have, they're not living by the word, don't even care about the Bible, don't care what it says, not, they're living by biblical prayer. And somehow, somehow we think that we can sow the world and reap a godly marriage and a godly life. But that's just not biblical. You, you're going to reap what you sow. And, and he says this that, that the one who builds their life on the rock on a solid foundation, with his, which is Jesus and, and His Word and living by the Word and pra- striving your best to live by God's Word and His principles. He says in both these situations, the storm's going to come. And don't fool yourself. Storms come to all of us. And the real question is, will your marriage last the storm? Is will your, will your relationship survive the storm? Because storms are going to come, and the, way that, the only way you can really survive is if your marriage and your life and your relationships are built on the rock of Jesus Christ. WWNW. WWNW. Write that down. WWNW. You can snap a picture or take a text, text yourself. WWNW. 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 World's Way Not Working. World's way not working. And I really want you to get this because somehow we buy into the Hollywood myth or the world's principles. And I'm telling you, the world's way is not working. And that's why the majority of marriages end in divorce. And a lot of Christians buy into pop culture and they try to apply the world's principles into their life, into their marriage. And if you sow the world into your marriage, you're going to reap a mess because world's way not working. World's way not working. And you're trying to do your relationships God's way. And I understand some of you are like, well, how do I do it God's way? Be in church. Get in a small group. Let us help you. Get to the marriage conference. Get get to the Sunday school class. We're going to be off. Listen, find out how to do it God's way because here's what I know great marriages, great relationships are not about what you say. Because everybody, when they get married, (laughs) I love you. We're going to be happy. God is with us. It's not about what you say. It's about